Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette, and sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Hey, everybody. Hey, so uh, again, we're down here in Broussard, Louisiana at our sponsor's uh, shop, the Louisiana Gun Shop, and uh, that's going to be Harlan Bobbitt. Boblet. Boblet, I'm sorry. Uh, Harlan Boblet, and like I said, Broussard, Louisiana. He does custom builds. He does ammo. He does uh, suppressor cans and more, any kind of builds that you want. He's got magazines. He's got Cerakote ability. He's got laser engraving ability, and we're going to have Harlan on um, in a later episode uh, to get into the details, uh, let's say of everything that he does, what he offers, um, from the explosives trainings and in the oil field to custom builds, to, uh, concealed carry, uh, licensing and things of this nature. So, uh, we're down here at the sponsor shop and we're going to show it off a little bit during, uh, during this episode, I, I guess you would say. And, um, and just kind of kick it right here from the showroom floor at, at uh, at the Louisiana gun shop. So, uh, if you see the background, obviously it's different than the regular studio, and then and you're going to know why. So uh, this is going to be our southern United States recording um, studio or area uh, for for the foreseeable future, and then the the, the regular studio up in uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, will be the the northern rec- recording studio, as it were, for right now. So uh, get that out of the way. Um, Today's uh, podcast is going to be on a purpose-driven life, and the thing that we want to talk about especially is uh, veterans departing from service, whether that be uh, on their terms or on somebody else's terms, veterans that are departing from the service that lose that sense of purpose, right? And we can talk about it, and we're going to talk about it in depth and all of of, of the different things that may contribute to the lack of purpose, and then what a lack of purpose actually can do to the to the psyche right and so um we'll jump right into it matt the first thing i have coming up is a departure from service can happen in many ways right so you can be uh forcibly retired forcibly separated and that's not always bad it could be like hey you just can't do this anymore and depending on your ratings uh through the va either separation or retire package going in things like that you can also so those are positive forced out situations uh, another plot positive situation is just you want to get out. You want to get out. You want to pursue other dreams, other goals, other things, and and that's great. And and I support that completely. However, even those guys sometimes will experience um, a lack of purpose, a serious lack of purpose. Uh, you know, as it pertains to getting out and to making that transition. And so many service members will suffer suffer from a lack of purpose, especially during that transition. And for go- and for combat guys, it can be uh, exacerbated, let's say, uh, all you ever did was combat. All you ever known was combat. And maybe let's say, you know, like in my situation, the joy of my life, you know, next to my children and my wife was leading, uh, Marines in combat and letting the lines do what the lines do and watching it and training it and then watching. I mean, there's no feeling like it. I get cold chills talking about it right now. And, um, to go from that and then to come out, uh, 
and say, well, you know, that doesn't transition to the civilian world nicely unless you're going to do some kind of contracting. Um, and a lot of people will say that. And, and I want to, I want to dispel the rumor. You learn so much in a short period of time as a service member, especially as a, you know, a critical skills operator. Let's say you learn the psychology of human beings very well. You learn fear very well. You learn avoidance very well. You learn compartmentalization very well because you must. We talked about it in the last episode about compartmentalizing when a friendly uh, service member, a friendly uh, element is, is hit hard and, and they lose people, right? And you don't get that goodbye. You don't get any of that. And so you have to compartmentalize your emotions and your feelings and put those in that small little box for later. Uh, later just happens to be opening that box when you get out. I mean, that, that's the time or when you start to slow down. I know <clears throat> from when we came home from Marja, um, I went over to be an instructor at the School of Infantry, and uh, that was the longest I had spent stateside since I enlisted was that billet. And, uh, and I started coming unwound. And part of that was Marja and the experiences therein, and then part of that was the off-tempo slowing way down and boredom and overworked and exhaustion. Um, not overworked, I would say, but worked hard. And to the point where uh, training was hard every single day, and, and that was how I was getting through, let's say. Um, and then you get out, and things things are different. You may go from making a geopolitical difference in life and, and really altering and, and making changes um, on a real scale where people's lives are saved and oppression is uh, diverted, let's say, to you get out. Uh, I don't, some people play you know, the stay at home dad game or mom game. Some people don't and can't. I know for me, I tried that and just sitting there it would fester in my mind and give me all this time to think and think and think and think and overthink things and get lost up in my, in my own head, in my own mind about things. And, um, you know, I was never a suicidal person ever, never have been. However, the lack of purpose was probably my lowest point. I wasn't helping anybody. I wasn't helping myself. I wasn't helping my people because I was drinking or I was uh, uh, working till exhaustion, not coming home because when I would come home, things would, you know, my head would go crazy. And so the transition piece can even be transitioning to a new unit uh, following combat. Uh, the more crucial transition piece was definitely, for me, was definitely getting out. Um, um, you used to have, you know, I remember when I was active, everything was okay because at least I knew I had 12 to 13 guys that I'd go in on that relied on me, that I relied on, and that were my brothers that had my best interest at heart. And then you get out, and sometimes if you don't keep those brothers around you, and, and, and many times that's not possible, right, because people get out, they go home, they move home, they get their different occupations, and then they scatter to the wind, right? And so um, you kind of lose a little bit of that that esprit de corps, that camaraderie that you shared every single day with these guys in uniform with you, and then that's all gone. Um, and maybe not all gone, but, but a good portion of that leaves, and then your life changes drastically. So I'm going to talk about, uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, and, and, and before we talk about that, I want to make a note that I think that's why I always was, uh, was, was trying to pursue, after Marja, I tried to pursue um, Marsoc before ultimately, you know, ended up getting out, but, uh, I felt like going to human, uh, human, human intelligence, um, or going to 
uh, MARSOC recon for something where people had to volunteer, wanted to be there, and not only that, but they had to sacrifice greatly to be accepted into that community. And that to me was always aspiring, you know, inspiring, let's say, and motivating to me because now you have these, all of them wanted to be there. All of them asked to be there. All of them asked to be put through that sacrifice. And that's something that ultimately in my, in my career, I never got to experience the small teams like that. We had a squad, a very tight squad, which I'm very fortunate, very lucky to have been put in that position and in that leadership role of our guys and, and you guys because it was amazing. You guys were, were amazing, uh, and we did great things together. But um, but I was always attracted to those smaller teams because of the personal responsibility that comes in. It chops down that 10% a little bit of people that's, that squeeze through the cracks. And I'm not saying that critical skills operators are – you know, in any branch of service, don't have their 10%. I'm sure they do. Oh, I'm sure they do. I just, I appreciate the fact that all of them, if you want to fuck it up afterwards, okay, that's on you. Like, if you want to go and you want to, you know, it's not, you, you make it, and maybe somebody made a mistake by selecting you. Maybe, you know. You know, maybe they go out in town and get drunk, and but not on the mission. Yeah. Don't fuck it up on the mission. Yeah. When you're in training and all that, and uh, yeah, I mean, the um, I always liked having just my team. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I never really wanted a squad. I was oh yeah. Try, I just liked having my little team. Yeah. I can move my four guy, my three guys around at one time. Four guys, you know. I really did not like those uh, those split sections we were running. Yeah. Because then I had to handle the A and A more than my Marines, you know. Absolutely. Well, you know what's crazy is I hated the split section because I didn't have my whole squad. Right. You don't so, have that back. You don't have the backup. Well, I mean, you just get used to like you. You were used to having your three guys, and you knew exactly how to employ your three guys to the best of your team's ability, and how to how to make things happen with that. And for me, it was just like I had that comfort level, but with thirteen. Right. You know what I mean? It's like that was my comfort level. That was where I was at. That's where I wanted to be. Um, and so anytime I didn't have my full squad, I felt like I felt like maybe they were worse off because of it or something like that because I wasn't there to help them or because maybe they didn't have enough ass for something. And I would constantly when we split. Uh, we talked about this in the book, but in Marja, uh, while we were operating like there in the beginning, our battle space for our battalion was so large and then for our company in turn so large and then for our platoon so large that uh, it couldn't be covered with traditional squads. Um, and so instead of having three traditional squads, a 13 plus A and A, and we moved an ANCOP, uh, Afghan National Army and Afghan National Civil Order Police. Uh, yeah, pulled that one off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You hate that, don't you? <laughs> I can do it too sometimes, but just not that ANCOP. I was like, yeah, they're, they're cops. Whatever, I don't care. <laughs> Civil Order police officers, what they are. They wear blue. The other ones wear green. They're all carrying assault rifles, quote unquote, assault rifles and whatever. Yeah. So I mean, um, yeah, tracking. So uh, anyway, the, the long story is, I felt comf more comfortable with my squad. You felt more comfortable with the team, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's great. That's great because you should feel comfortable with team. You should be able to say, "This is my team. I'm gonna yeah. go out here and anything that happens, this now, is my I team." And I got squad. I might have shit my pants for a second. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially in that situation. But comfort levels weren't the same with 13A. <laughs> well, you know what uh, would have happened if you had to take the platoon. I could have took the platoon. Oh, I know you could take the platoon, but 
I was at a different for, point in my career too. But for so. a second, you might have been like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always those. There's always those situations where you're where you can well, you could sit and what up in anything. Yeah, okay, if sure. I take the platoon, everybody could turn on me, or everybody could do this, or everybody could do that. Or guess what? You could take the platoon and be a lion, dude. You could take the platoon and everybody have the respect needed to garner good good results, right? So, and and I also think that that all depends on how you take over that command. If you take it over, cock strong. And uh, and trying to do your own thing and trying to re- reinvent the wheel because now you're the one in charge. Yeah, it's gonna it's not gonna be good, especially when you're moving from a junior position up to a platoon sergeant right. or a squadron position up to a platoon sergeant, something of that nature. But if you come into it humble, if you come into it uh, courageous and ready and uh, committed and uh, confident in your abilities, uh, you're gonna do just fine. You're going to do just fine. And if you're the leader worth his salt, you're going to listen to your men and you're going to weigh in their options. And, and you're going to take their options and, or their opinions, let's say, into consideration. Much like LT did with, with right. me and the rest of the squad leaders mitigating the minefield margin. He brought us in. Hey, this is what we got. These are two shitty situations. And now we need to figure out which one's less shitty. Right. We need to pick the lesser of the two evils. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? And you come into something like that, uh, it goes a long, a long, long way with the troops. Always has, and it always will. The best leaders are not the ones that come in cop strong and tell you exactly what's going to happen. The best leaders that I ever had came in, weighed the options, brought it, boiled it down to you know a couple of options, and then brought the leadership or the senior leadership of the platoon in and said, "Hey, this is what we're looking at, and I want to weigh it out. Right? What are you guys thinking?" Do anybody have any? Does anybody have any ideas that have not been brought up of how to mitigate this threat? And uh, and that's a life lesson. That's not don't don't take that as uh, this is military only, right? Or this is veteran only. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, Jocko talks about it a lot on the Jocko podcast and, right. and in his book with extreme ownership with with uh, Lace Fab. With Lace and they talk about it. And they're exactly right. Go there and make a difference. Get yourself in a position of leverage within your company, within your institution, to say, hey. This is the way things should. This is what I'm seeing. Here's some good ideas, and if you got to polish it up, if you got to shape that shot up a little bit to make it make it more effective, then that's what you do, and take your time and shape your shot. Uh, you do that, your outcome is going to be what you want. You you don't do that. Um, sometimes it can work, and then sometimes it can absolutely backfire. Right. And that's both in the veteran uh, and active duty uh, mindset and in and in the civilian world. And so, and we've talked a little bit of that with uh, civilian job opportunities, just with the both, of, you know, with right. with me and you over the last couple of years. Is let's get ourselves in a position to where they can't say no. Yeah. Let's shape this shot to the point where a, and a lot of times a good trick is to not trick really, but let's make it their idea. Yeah. Right. Let's go to the boss who didn't think about this, and let's make it his idea and shape that to where it's his idea, asking me to do what I wanted to do already. And sometimes that takes some foresight. Sometimes that takes some. You know, some strategic thinking, but that is all about shaping that shot, and that's all about making the people not making them, but imposing your will. Let's say we oppose our will on the enemy, but you, yeah. the boss don't need to be an enemy. You don't want us to look at the boss as the enemy, but you still need to get your will across and say, "Hey, I, I I think that I have a better way to do this," and then you need to find out the best options of pushing that idea up and around and getting that floated up and around the area it's just hey i've got an idea what do you think about this is there any way do you know of any way we can we can accomplish this maybe you don't know how to accomplish it sure but, hey 
and then or, the or he pursues it and finds out, and yeah, we can do that. Absolutely. Know? I'm just thinking in my in my job now. One hundred percent. Or are they even thinking about this? Is my dispatch manager or is my you know my direct supervisor? Is he even does he even know that there's issues with this? Because one of the biggest problems a lot of times that people have even in their own personal relationships is they'll assume they'll assume something which makes an ass out of you and me, right? right? They'll assume that there's an issue, and because there's an issue, uh, or I'm sorry, they'll assume that there's no issue because nobody has brought up an issue to them, and everybody's right. still working, and everybody's still going and doing their job, and everybody's still doing their thing. But there may be deep-seated issues. There may be issues like, hey, you're taking advantage of your workers, and I know you may not mean to because you got clientele to, to impress, and you got people to, to you know, to put oh, on. We, we got we got to put this this shit on. This is what we do, right? Understandably so. But you also can't run your your help ragged you know, in any institution that you are in and then not give them, you know, not give them the, the due kickback recognition accolades. And then you're going to fester, uh, negative thoughts are going to start to fester. And then God forbid, you know, that community. And so like that negative energy can foster negative thoughts. And then, you know, God forbid, as an employer, you have guys band together and say, Hey, this enough is enough. And then you have people quitting on you. Now you can't accomplish your, your goals anyway. And so, um, in my in my opinion, that can be a dangerous thing. Right. And so. Yeah, um, I mean, as a business, you need to have your workers be satisfied and fulfilled in their job, mm. so you can make money. Mm. And you're paying them for their time, but they don't want to waste their time if they're going to just get jacked around by the employer either. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience in the in the what do we call it, the private sector. Mm. Any business that runs their 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 employees like that, they're not going to stay in business. Well, it's called the free market for a reason because, you know what, I love Louisiana because it's a it's a right to work state. I can practice my trade for whoever I want whenever I want. If I want to quit one company and go work for another one, I can do that. And there, not only can you do that, but down here, especially in the field that you're in with the mechanics and the oil field, they're headhunting people. Right. Yeah. If you're a good employee, these other companies will come over and say, hey, you know, we got something for you. We got, you know, we got this package for you if you right. come over here. Dude, six months working for the first forklift company I worked for. And, you know, just turning wrenches. Six months, I walk into one of the competitors. The service manager comes out, slides me his business card and says, hey. Whenever you get sick of them, just come to us. <laughs> I was like, thanks, I'll keep that under my hat. And I was like, yeah. that was the first time I had dealt with that. Uh-huh. And then you realize, now being in it for five years, I, uh, I realized that um, it's such a small-knit group, mm. reputation. Yeah, reputation. Everything, yeah. whether good or bad, right. it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. And... Um, it's well, and that's, in, that, in that's in life, right? And that's another thing we can talk about is uh, no matter what your profession, no matter what your institution, organization, or your goals are, um, and we'll get back to the purpose here in a minute, but it's important to note that no matter what it is, you are you are presenting your brand, right? And this is something that I've talked to and I've you know given talks about this to people is like your, you create your brand from the time you start to be an adult. Now, your brand is being created a little bit before that due to your your, your child rearing, your parent, you know, your parents, your family, um, and your connections growing up as an adolescent. But once you become an adult, this is your brand now. Your last name, let's say, is your brand. And when people hear your last name, they're going to associate your brand with a reputation. 
And if that reputation is not good, then your brand and your name is not good. Right. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of, like, like we talk about it all the time, do, if anything is worth doing, is worth overdoing, right? Anything right. that's worth doing is worth doing all the way the first doing time. well. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and if you're not going to do it all the way, why are you doing it? Exactly. And, and maybe that's the way I was raised. Maybe not. Maybe that was something that other people don't, uh, that all other people don't necessarily uh, have in common. Um, due to due to due to the way they're raised, due to the way you know their life experiences have uh, turned out, but it's a it's a big deal, and, and it's your brand. So you should be representing your name and your brand at the best of your ability. Right? Perfect example. I was uh, rebuilding some cylinders uh, yesterday, mm. as you know, mm. and uh, I get done with rebuilding the cylinders. There's four there's four grease fittings on the cylinders, one for each end mm. on each, on both cylinders. Why am I not going to take the time to go get my grease gun? I just Took the pins out mm. for the grease, and it's just it's the, that small, just minor detail that hey, grease the fittings. You just you just cleaned all of that. Go grease the fittings. Yeah, Why would you finish not it. do that? Finish right? it right. Yeah. You know, go clean the fit. Go clean the hydraulic fittings with a little bit of brake cleaner that the customer's paying for anyways. Mm. Blow them off with air. Now you know if you've got a leak anyways, because you're supposed to be checking to make sure the work you just completed isn't leaking. Right. Like. Do the procedure and be consistent in the procedure as much as possible. 100%. Now, every job is not the same, though. That's the only thing. You well, know, and it doesn't have to be the same. There is a procedure for it. every job. There's a theory and a workflow that you should try and create in your head from the way you were trained. For now, sure. Now, then you can go back to the way you were trained is the way you're going to do it. So hopefully the guy who trained you trained you well. Right. Yeah, and if he didn't, it's incumbent upon yourself to fix yourself because nobody else is going to do it. For right, you. or listen to someone else who may have more experience to you, which is going to fix your issue, right? Exactly. And if or you don't, maybe you don't have an issue, and you you had a good trainer. It could you be. Know? It could be. In my opinion, though, anything like that, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Okay, a, and the cat or the follow up to that is, um, do what you have to do to do the job well. You know what I mean? Like what you said. You might have been trained well. Okay, yeah. So you think you're trained well. Right. But so does the guy that wasn't trained well. So if you're not continuing, it's another, that's another good point is everything is a continuation of practice, right? Uh, yeah, completely. But everybody doesn't say that, right? You say you practice law, okay, and you say you practice medicine, okay? But literally every occupation, if you are not practicing to maintain and get better at your job, then I don't know what you are doing. Right. Because you are not the best. There's always people doing it better, stronger, and faster than you. And if it, yeah, and if it's not finding new procedures, because you can only sometimes you can only rewrite the procedure so many times. The tools are the same. The, the and I'm just coming from my experience for sure. But new technologies. Well, you don't have to recreate the wheel, right? But, but you can be more efficient at doing the procedure than you were in the past. A hundred percent. And then it goes to the, you know, the cliche of work smarter, not harder. And that's a fact because if I can take a little G2 figure out a way to do this 60 seconds or a minute faster. Well, it depends on what the field you're in, but let's say you're laying floor, for, for, for example. Let's say you're a floor installation yep. man, okay, which I have done. Uh, well, if it takes 30 seconds less of board and I'm laying 4,000 boards in a house, now think about that, add right. your time up, and then look at the work, the work that you've prevented for yourself, the timeline that you've cut. You're going to cut it a lot if you take that from 13 to 15 seconds by a small trick that somebody has been in the trade for, you know, 
40 years can show you. I know the guy that was kind of mentoring me when I was learning the floors was showed me this, um, he showed me this board, like he called it a sand board, right? His name was Sam. He's like, that's my board. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So we're just laying floor. And one of his tricks was if you cut the groove off of an LVT board to lay down or, yeah. or, 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 you know, or even a hardwood, you cut the groove off of that. And then you line the board exactly up over the existing board on the floor your next measurement on a full board is going to be exactly what you want. And I mean, that may sound confusing, but it's a little small trick to not have to break out a tape measure and, and mess and, up the, the mark or well, the you, measurement. You could mess it up for sure. This is exact every time and you don't need any of that. So you can literally flip it down, draw a line, and have your rip cut. Right. When I was doing it, it's taking three or four minutes of board because I'm getting I'm getting my measuring tape out, measure, okay, measure mark, measure, okay, measure mark, and take you it to the stall. To make sure your measurements are right because you measure once and cut or you measure twice and cut once. Right. You so know. And, and so then I take it to cut it and by the time I'm feeling pretty good. Two two minutes, two minutes, thirty seconds for for a hard cut, cool. Sam walk you know, Sam Sam would walk up to me and say, Let me show you a sandboard. You know, he's forty five year old laborer for his entire life. All right. Um, which is fine if that's you know if that's what you want to do and that's what you're called to then then do that. Um, but he walks up to me, shows me the sandboard, and the uh, so the sandboard did it say Sam on the board? Yeah. He probably flipped it over and was like, "This is how you do this because you're going to be here for a little while." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, you know. Yeah. Um. But and, I, and I'll tell you the um. The thing about efficiency, efficiency is great. If you can get faster at efficiency, as long as it doesn't sacrifice workload, quality, quality. Well, the qual efficiency the qual should be quality, right? So if you're it efficient at something, you're efficient at making it quality. But some people see efficiency as faster, not necessarily the quality, in well, my opinion. I would say that speed then. They're not going for efficiency, they're going for speed. Right. Depends what. All right. So I sell my time to the customer. Correct. That's okay. the way my. That's the way yeah, my. Yeah, yeah. My, our business model works in a in a service department. So efficiency, his speed, because every minute costs the customer X. Yeah. Or yeah. if you want to break it down that far, we break it down by the hour. X is how much it costs for me to be on that location for an hour. Mm -hmm. So if I can get it done faster. It saves the customer money, which is more efficient. Right, as but long it doesn't as it's save the done, customer money if it's done wrong. If it's done correctly. If it doesn't, and it pays for the customer <clears> to have me out there another hour if it's done right, as opposed to getting off that job an hour earlier and it's done wrong. And going back exactly. to that job. And then my question would be, if you have to go back to that job because it's done wrong, was it done efficiently the first time? No. Okay, that's, exactly. my, and that's, that's my point. And that's where so you're sacrificing quality and efficiency for speed or for timeline, okay, or for you. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because if your focus and your primary goal was efficient, it's kind of like, we'll take you back to Marine Corps, time on target, and, and, and let's say priority is, uh, the priority is time, all right? Mm -hmm. So if I have a mission where my priority is timeline driven, then there may be IEDs and bad actors that I pass up because I have to be there at a certain time to help right. somebody else. So I can't mess with this. This is something I would normally mess with, but I can't mess with this because I have to be there at this time. And sometimes mission has priority. And in that same exact mission, those two statements, you know, for, for, a, for an operator mean two different things. If mission has priority, I might cruise up to that and say, mission has priority, and I can't have these guys backfilling me. Right. So I have to mitigate this threat, mark this IED threat, and then I can move. Right? 
Right. That would be the mission taking priority to make sure the mission doesn't get messed up. Now, if the time takes priority, different. I have to be there. I'm meeting somebody there. I'm rendezvousing. I'm picking somebody up. I'm bailing somebody out. Whatever the case is, you need to be there at time. And so that changes what your mission's going to be, right? So right. the other thing I would say about that is if you're the boss, if you're the commander, if you're the, you know, the foreman, if you're the whatever it is that you are, uh, this will ring true. And the Marine Corps is an old, you know, statement that they used to tell you that your Marines will write your fit rep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what that simply means is, you know, Marines get fitness reports uh, gauging them on their uh, different attributes of leadership. Okay. And you can get all kinds of different grades on this and all that goes to a score for you which is going to accept you for promotion or put you in, in position for promotion and things of this nature. And what, what my commanders, thank God, uh, you know, always told me was you take care of your Marines and your fit rep and your Marines will write that for you. If you are a good leader, if you put your men first, if you train hard, if you do the things that are expected of you and even go beyond those things, your Marines are going to write your fit rep and your Marines are going to write your fit rep by their, the amount of respect, and um, their work actions. that they put out for you as a leader to them, right? And you can see that anywhere. I mean, you can see that in corporate America, Fortune 500 businesses, and the military just alike. If you have people that are happy to be there, people that are in a good work environment, that believe in what they're doing, they are going to put out for you way more than the person that doesn't want to be there. It's in a hostile work environment, whether that's sexually or verbally or uh, what, whatever, whatever. I mean, there's a million different ways you can make a hostile environment for a that's, worker, yep. right? And so if you're in a hostile work environment and you don't have very big trust in your leadership and you really don't believe what you're doing, you're not going to be anything compared to the output that these other people can give you, right? And so as a boss, you should be taking care of your people to the, to the maximum extent possible without getting yourself in trouble. Uh, do that. You, a, you'll, you'll lead the most successful team in your company unless everybody's doing that. And, and B, your, your people are going to write your fit reps for you. Because let's say they want to can you and they come to your section and they say, you know, what do you guys think about X, you know, boss or X manager or, you know, what do you guys think about Rogers? They said, man, we can't stand that guy. He's always riding us. He's micromanaging us. He doesn't care about, you know, working us overtime or working us ragged. Um, and it just seems like we're like, it's not like no factor to him. Okay. Now, if I hear that and I'm his boss, I'm thinking twice. I'm thinking, hold on a second. We're probably not getting max efficiency out of these people because, they can't even stand being here around this guy. Okay. Now flip that and say that you go to the, you know, my crew of whatever job that I'm in. It doesn't matter what job I'm in. No. It matters not. You come to my crew and you say, Hey, um, we're just doing, you know, annually or quarterly reviews. And you start asking about me mm -hmm. and all of my, all of my crew are going, Oh man, that guy, you know, he's awesome. He comes down to our level. He's got, you know, he takes care of us. You know, we know, we understand that there's some things he can't do about, you know, certain calls and certain shifts or certain, uh, instances, let's say, that pop up, but when he can take care of us, we know that he's taking care of us. Well, me as a leader, when I hear that, I'm saying, okay, yeah, he's right where he needs to be. He's locked into the zone, right? And uh, and that, that that all goes back to, to uh, knowing your workforce, knowing your team, well, yeah, being, you on the level, being on the level with your team, absolutely. And those things are extremely crucial, even in corporate America. Knowing, especially in corporate America. Knowing your people doesn't mean you're going to go out to the bar and you're going to go drink with them and all that. You just got to know, hey, maybe he's having a rough time at home right now. Maybe his kid's sick. I hope his kid isn't sick right now with COVID, but, you know, before it would have been, hey, you know, maybe his kid's dealing with a cold and, um, I don't know, you know, hey, maybe he's getting married. 
something, you know. I'm just thinking through all, you know, you should know what's going on in your employee's life. You don't have to be a part of it, and you no, don't have to be buddy-buddy with them, yeah, and, and you, you don't want to be buddy-buddy with them. You say. have to have a certain level of, uh, of, of removal from them, for 100%. sure, but you need to be in front of them every day and let them know, hey, I'm here. Absolutely. I'm here. And I'm I am a manager, man. but, you know, we're working towards the same goal. We need this X to make money. This business needs to make money for us to have a job. Mm. So, and we need to be, we need to do that honestly, and we need to do that productively. Hundred percent. And I would say, if you were a boss in this situation, I mean, there's, I mean, take take from the conversation what you will. But if you're a boss in this situation, and you're in good shape, and you guys like you, hey, this ain't for you, right? Or maybe it is, and it's just reinforcing right. positive uh, actions. Great job. But if you're the boss that's constantly a dick, you know, like, don't be that guy. Or Nobody wants to work for that guy. But on the same, in the same sentence, I would say, um, you need to know what your expectations are for your people, and your people need to know what your expectations are for them. Correct. Something that we do in the military, and it's every branch and it's every unit. You come in and you get an expectations brief, right? You get an expect if you have a good leadership uh, command, they're going to tell you exactly on day one, hey, this is what I expect from you. This is. You know, whatever job it is, but like for us, so you check in, new lieutenant, and he says, hey, nice to meet you. We got a doozy. This is what I expect from you in the coming months. This is what I expect from you on this deployment. Now you know what I expect, and that's the level that I'm going to hold you to. Now, if I come into corporate America, and I come in, let's say I take over a crew of people. Let's say it's a dozen people. And I come in on day one, and I say, hey, you know, my name's Ron Rogers. I'm going to be taking over. Um, not taking over. I'm going to be joining the team. Right. I'm going to be joining the team. I hope to facilitate all of your needs and wants the best of my ability. However, this is what I expect from you. You give me what I expect from you, and I will take care of you. And you, you know, you make it this: join me in helping the team uh, instead of this is what I'm going to do, and you're going to do it, and we're going to be better because of it. So words mean things to people, and attitudes mean things to people. Correct. And so I would say, but as, as much as I say that, if you don't give an expectation for it, and people don't know what your expectations are, then how could you ever hold them accountable for something that they didn't achieve that they didn't know your expectations for? Right. However, if they know your expectations, and then they consistently set a trend for not meeting those expectations, it's not that uh, you're a bad boss. It's like, like sometimes you got to trim the fat. Sometimes you got to say, you yeah. know what, losing this person will make my team better. You know, you may have you, you may have diminishing returns from some people where they're where they're taken away or maybe you have a negative piece of energy inside your office that is affecting five or six other people in your team. And then as a boss, what's your job? Your job is to take care of your team and if one person is the one that take that is bringing your team down, then maybe you need to evaluate what's going on with that person. Right. But like you said, if you're involved in their lives, if you're involved in their um in their business to the extent that you should be involved, then you're going to know and you're going to be able to see these little idiosyncrasies start to yeah. pop up. And then when it becomes a trend, then you can nip it in the butt and say, hey, hey, okay, this is what I told you I expected. This is what you've done so far. And I know you've got X, Y, or Z going on. So we need to figure out a way that we can mitigate what's going on here, but we need to accomplish our mission at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, come at it with a little understanding. Yeah, and, you know, there's companies all over the place that consult to help companies like this, all over the place, and they're great, and they come in, but people in corporate America and Fortune 500 companies are paying large dollars for these people to come in and teach them how to lead a group of people, and um, 
you know, for us, thank God we're not in that position. I mean, both of us, both of us Marines, both of us infantry Marines, and in the Marine Corps, what we do, what the Marine Corps is known to do, and what, what I love about the Marine Corps, is they'll take an 18-year-old kid that the boot just got out of boot camp, and they're going to throw him in leadership role. Yep. Every training off he goes in, he's going to go to an, into a different leadership role, and then he's going to be expected by the age of 22 to make life or death decisions in 10 seconds or less. For other people. For other people. And, um, and, him, and himself. Mostly. Well, for sure. Yeah, but for sure. And, and, and it, for myself, it was never the big question. It was the other men that you're, for sure. that you're in charge of. I, I already know you, you're the same one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've had that conversation many times. <laughs> <laughs> many times. But, again, trying to translate this to corporate America at the same time and uh, in everyday <clears throat> life, this is all stuff that applies to the business world in any job. I don't care if it's. Uh, you know, a 7-Eleven up to a Fortune 500 company, if there's poor leadership, if there's people that are micromanaging and not paying attention, not letting their employees write their fitness reports and write their reviews, then, um, you, you know, it can be troublesome. But that, it doesn't always in that way, but it can be, uh, it can be quite, a, quite an uh, experience, let's say. And so... Uh, did you have anything else to add on on that topic? Because we'll move on. All right, let's move. Let's push. So, um, next topic that uh, that I have as far as transition uh, is involved in in, in living a purpose driven life is 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 on the negative side, right? So, drugs and alcohol. And the reason I bring drugs and alcohol up is it is a problem that extends far beyond the ranks, but is absolutely an issue in the ranks. Um, people say, why is it an issue in the ranks? Well, multiple reasons, but uh, for for a guy that comes home and is no longer the same person, let's say, uh, for a guy that lost some people, uh, maybe killed a bunch of people, um, uh, maybe seen such cultural differences in the land that he is in now, uh, be that in the Middle East or wherever he may find himself or may have found himself or herself, uh, you can see some things that are so far off um, of your reality that they affect you, right? And and these things, when, when people are affected by trauma, people, human beings handle that in a weird way. I mean, all different ways, but some of them handle it poorly. Um, I know that when I came home, I used alcohol to sleep. I used alcohol to feel better. I used alcohol for a lot of things, and that's not something I'm proud of. But that's something I had to work through. Well, I think um, we all kind of kind of did that for sure. You know, For I mean, sure. For, I mean, it's the, talking about culture, that's kind of the culture. Yeah. In in the Marine Corps, you know, it's that's what you do. You come home and you party because you know what you made it, and you party to to remember the ones that didn't. You know, um, I'm not gonna say it's. Well, let's I'm talk not gonna about say let's, talk, let's talk about it as a drug. Does alcohol help? Yes, certain symptoms. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Does alcohol have diminishing returns? Yes, yes it does. You can talk to anybody that you want to talk to that's really, you know, how to spot with alcohol, and they'll tell you, hey, man, it let me sleep. It let me sleep without nightmares. It lowered my anxiety or at least put my give-a-fuck down far enough to where it wasn't as big of a deal. But when you also talk to people who have, you know, same time you talk to these same people, most of these people have had alcohol-related incidents that uh, absolutely hindered their daily life and their financial uh, their financial life, let's say. And so um, alcohol and drugs, in my opinion, I want to be careful how I say this because it depends on which one we're, ones we're talking about. I don't drink anymore. Um, but there are, there are 
studies being done both through the VA, the federal government, and outside of that, studies being done right now on things like psilocybin and magic mushrooms, things like ayahuasca and DMT, things like uh, THC, helping people with, um, with anxieties and things like this. And, and I, I want to caution everybody on doing any of that because you don't want to wind up having a crutch, right? You don't, you don't want to wind up having this right. thing that now you traded this thing out for your alcoholism and now you're, you're doing a little bit better, but, but you have this other thing, right? And, and that's not what I'm preaching, but, but what I am going to say is there are studies coming out right now that have different experimental drugs that are helping people in those situations, in situations like um, severe trauma. And you don't have to be a veteran to have experienced severe trauma. It could be as much as a, uh, an accident on the road, a violent accident that you witnessed. It could be something mortal happening to a, to a family member or a child, God forbid. It could be, um, uh, we're talking to uh, Slim just a little bit ago, and he was talking about to me how he had seen a, an accident and, and actually seen from about 60 yards, watched a person burn to death. And that will change you. That is a hard thing to deal with, oh, right? Sure. And I'm not saying get a crutch for it. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying if there's a way that we can safely and medically use some of these, uh, let's call them unorthodox means of therapeutics, I don't understand why we don't, especially for, um, especially for service members and people with serious traumas. Because if we can use something safely, scientifically, and medically to get these people help, I'm not sure why we don't do it. Right. And I know we for, care about veterans, mm, which every every uh, every politician, oh, got to help the veterans. And my but, problem but is that, gonna, the, but we're not going to explore every every avenue that 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 uh, that, that could bring us. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? I mean, even if it do, if it doesn't work, but at least we try. Oh, but here's the problem I have: you have people like um, dozens at this point of Navy SEALs and Medal of Honor recipient Marine uh, Corporal Dakota Meyer going out of the country to go get therapeutic treatment for anxiety, for nightmares, for the unreal and unorthodox things that they have seen in their life and say that this stuff is working, but you got to go to Mexico. Right. This stuff is, this stuff works for me, but you can't get it here. And it's like, hold on, you're a medal of honor recipient. What is it that we can't do for you? What is it that the United States government will not do for you? Because I don't understand that. Right. You know, and, and, and it's working, right? We got people out there that are doing um, doing these test trials now and, and trying to get at least open the jar on that. And, and that's at least that's comforting because you know whatever two years ago when this when uh, when when Jocko and um, and Dakota talked about this stuff, it's like revolutionized. Like, like I was like, oh my god, I gotta do this. Like if this works for him, he's been right. most of these guys been through at least if not more. You know, in many cases more than what what I've been through. So if it worked for them, you know, maybe has a chance to work for me. And then I got a level with, you know, spending the money, the time, the effort, and then the danger to go to South America as, you know, uh, who I am and go find some yeah, treatment center, you're right? Not so fitting in down there, brother. And and so and so and that's what I'm saying. This should not this is a stupid problem to have. Oh yeah. This is a stupid problem to have to say that we can take the top one percent of America's fighting men and send them to another country because oh, politically we really just don't want to mess with that. Politically, we don't want to mess with that because maybe but, big pharmaceuticals get angry about it. Well, I was going to say, and but, billions of dollars stop funding into a campaign trail, and that's where that's where it starts to aggravate me because yeah. now this is done for political money reasons, and you have people that suffered, uh, like Dakota, for this country and gave everything for this country to include his mind, to include the rest of his life potentially as a normal 
uh, thinking American, and now he's got these other things, and you can't do this for him, right? Because um, because we want more money, but we'll give him seventy percent more pills, or and I don't know how the, how many percentage it is, but we'll just keep doping him up on whatever the big pharma's uh, uh, cooking up for him, and and let it go, the hide go with the hair, because then fifteen minutes after he gives. After he gets his, uh, after his, after he's awarded his Medal of Honor, huh? yep. Yep, that's we, old news. We awarded him. We awarded him. And next, great next, for us. And now let's go on to the next. Next in line. Forgotten. I think that's a lot. I think that's a lot of. In, forgotten really by line. them, not by us. In my, you know, oh, in, you know what I'm saying. I'm just saying. And who is us? Well, me and you, at least. Yeah, because <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Not in, in in. There's a lot of Americans out there who don't forget. I can tell you that. I meet them every day. Uh, and, and, and but not you know who that, I'm talking about. I'm not saying that people forget. I'm saying that this is a contentious subject because it may ruffle ruffle some feathers, but it's the way that I feel. I feel like uh, it's it's a uh, I don't know if you want to call it a double edged sword or maybe the gift is the curse. But are the people of the United States of America in today's day and age, in my opinion, are so free? We have become so free that a good portion of our population doesn't think that war is real outside of Hollywood. They see the romanticized version of war. They know that it goes on, but it's like this thing that goes on in the background. It's like right. it's this thing over here that you don't really hear. You can't hear the explosions. You can't hear the screams. You can't hear the enemy. You There's can't. No you don't economic feel effect to you. It you doesn't can affect go out your to the mall life. on Saturday night, on Saturday morning, and go shopping. Hundred percent. Go buy the fifty-two inch. Uh, flat screen TV and the DVD player and have cable and drive your big truck or your big car down the road and it's not going to affect you at all while there's an 18 year old kid sitting in a mud hut standing post at 2 o'clock in the fucking morning and he's wondering where the fuck his next meal's coming from or if he's going to get smoked in the head with a fucking sniper's round while he's sitting there on that fucking post might have ruffled might have got my dander up with that one brother yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean but it, it is just as beautiful to me as it, as it is i know i know yeah because i didn't come in for you to tell me thank you i came right. in to play yeah, war. exactly i wanted to go kill people because of 9-11 and the events that happened that day i wanted to take america and resolve over this so i didn't do this for you to appreciate me but at the same time if we do not if we forget or if we put to the side too long what America's sons are doing, sons and daughters of liberty are out there doing for us, then it starts to go over here, right? And here's yep. the problem with it going over here. Now the youngsters are taking leadership positions within our, within our federal government. And those youngsters that haven't been there, that are completely disconnected from war. I mean, you got the Dan Crenshaws and you got some of the guys up there that not. But a lot, for, for the most part, if you look at our government, um, there's a lot of people that can't relate, don't know, don't understand. And don't care. And to an extent, don't care. Because it's a political game for money and votes. Okay? And power. And power. But they don't care. And some of it is that with the politicians because they actually wage the wars, right? But for right. the everyday citizen, it's just so far in the background. It's over here. Dude. The problem is when over here starts doing bad shit, you don't know that they're doing bad stuff until too late. And you were never really emotionally involved. You weren't politically invested into it. You weren't really watching it. And all of a sudden, it's at your doorstep. And now it's got so much momentum and so much steam that it's going to do what it wants to do to you. And my fear is that we're in this area now where, uh, where you know, strong men made for easy times. Just the, 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 yep. the, the whole uh, 
Strong men make for easy times. Easy times make for easy men. Easy men make for hard times, right? And I think we're at the the back end of that. I think that um, I think that it's been made so easy over the last couple of generations for Americans that we really haven't suffered much, okay? And when you don't suffer much, you're going to start looking for things that make you angry because that's people, right? That's right. human nature. Now, what could be better? Or what could? And, and that's where you have, you know. Uh, Campbell University students, and you have uh, 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 really any university student these days is getting a heavy dose of liberalism throughout the ranks of, of classes in college. Right. Um, and you end up with leadership that is leadership that is not going to lead the country that's so far disconnected from the warfighter that they don't understand it. And these are the people now voting on the budget, voting on the budget, voting on everything. But the budget's what brings bullets. Well, and armament, and helicopters, and fuel. And if we don't have money, we take it back to pre-Marja days, where we're running through the damn quad, training, doing butter, butter, jam, jam, or die, motherfucker, <laughs> die with a saw, because they don't have the rounds to facilitate live training. Yep. And our our uh, go-to slogan is train like you fight. It's like, we don't train like we fight. They don't give us the money to train like we fight. Nope. And then they expect, though, instantly to be a 911 force when something goes wrong. They'll, they'll be, be, be right there. Funding you and ready to go then. And sometimes that's too late. It's like now I need to build back up because you didn't give me the money to train for the last four years, five years. But somehow it's still been done. No, no, I'm not saying that we're always going to make it happen. It's just a but matter of like people are how, how much easier would it, would it have been for us and Marja if they gave us everything that we wanted when we asked for it the first time? Well, sure. That's the point. Well, sure. This is war for our country. This is young men's lives that are laid on the line for you, for, for you people. For you congressmen, for, for the rest of the country, for the rest of the nation, you want to defund them? You want to take money away from them? I don't understand. I don't understand the logic. Because these are smart people. These aren't dumb people. Right. Um, and so we can get off that, that dead horse. But uh, going back to drugs, this is all controlled by Congress. Um, went down the rabbit hole a little yeah, bit on that little, one. Little <laughs> tangent, little tangent. But it's all good. This, this, all stuff good. Is, this stuff is controlled by Congress, straight up. The funding for it, big pharmaceuticals is lobbying lobbies millions of dollars a year to keep certain uh, therapeutics, let's call them, uh, under wraps and under the under the um, out of the limelight, let's say, so that people don't know about them. Um, they don't want them legalized. I mean, you see what's happening with the THC being legalized across the country. You know, states are taking in millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of tax money and fixing things up and schools are getting better and things of that nature. And at the same time, is it really causing a lot of, a, a lot of grief and people, some, some say yes, some say no. And there are studies to show both, both numbers anymore. There's a study out there that's been pre, you know, peer reviewed. That'll tell you one thing. And then you can find six more studies that tell you the exact antithesis of that. Right. Right. So, um, anyway, let's get on some more therapeutics and now I'm going to do some positive therapeutics. These therapeutics that, that I feel tested and approved, let's call it that. Um, uh, therapeutics such as group counseling. A lot of guys don't want to do group counseling. They feel like they're going in there with a bunch of other guys that they don't know and they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to put themselves out there. Let's say. But here's two things I've learned from group counseling that have absolutely changed my life. One, <clears throat> it's good to know that you're not the only one feeling the way you're feeling. It's good to hear other people talking like, oh, Hank, that's not because then it's like, okay, this guy, this guy, this is a tough dude. This is a hard dude. And he's still feeling kind of the same way I feel. So it makes you, it, it's less uh, emasculating, let's say. Uh, in the Marine Corps, you are alpha dog from beginning to end. And you show any uh, beta, 
you show any uh, weakness, and it's dogs on me. It, they're coming out, and they don't care. They don't care. Oh, what, you're going to cry? You're going to be butthurt? Okay, go to your, I don't care. I'll follow you there. You're going to be hard. And it will continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I wonder if that in, in the modern Marine Corps, I mean, when did you get out? 15? 14? Um, or am I completely wrong? Uh, no, you're not. Okay. The last day in, in 2014. Okay, so 2014, I got out in 11. Mm-hmm. And we've been out. We're, we're 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 we've been out for a little while. Mm. And I know you do talk to uh, other veterans who may still be in in some aspect and all that. I wonder how that is nowadays with the uh, the social culture. And I mean, it was already changing when we were in with certain hazing policies and other things like that. Look, man, like we've talked about this offline many times. There's always going to be the grunts and the Marines. And, and the, the soldiers and the airmen and the, and the guys that were from before, and they're and always going to say that the that the new ranks are weaker and that the new ranks aren't as good and they don't listen and they're disrespectful. But well, it's cliche, so does that make it true? Usually, but we haven't lost a war yet. We haven't even come close. At least with Marines and, and engagements, uh, it's not even close. Yeah, it's never been close. It's never been close. Have we lost people? We've lost people. Um, but there's a reason we don't salute like this. Right. That, 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 that's not happening here. And, and, and with the American exceptionalist attitude, especially the nationalistic pride and pride and the spirit of corps and camaraderie that you find with warfighters, it's not even an option in your head to leave. It's not something that can happen. It's, it's not there. Right. Yeah, we, you could get a couple of us. But bet your ass, all of them are getting me back. If you take me, that's like that night with JT uh, in the uh, Frago mission. Right. I thought I thought we were going to die that night, and I told him, "Hey, <laughs> if they hit me, I want that being a parking. I want everything over their glass." Right. Here's the mission. Already wrote it up. Just hit. Just say fire. Right. And in my mind, it's like that frees me up because you know what it means. It means I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna do some. I'm gonna do some stuff. I'm gonna go find you. But if you get me, just on the off chance that you get me, hell hath no fury, boy. It's going to be raining on you. Yep. It's going to be raining. It's going to be hot. And it's going to be metal. And it's going to be raining on you. Point blank, period. And so that's why I say in the back of your head, you're like, well, that's fine. Yeah, you got me. I mean, you didn't get all of us. You can't get all of us. You won't get all of us. And uh, that's the attitude you have to have, especially in war. But if you have that attitude out in corporate America, it's going to, it's going to be beneficial to you. That can-do attitude. CD, CDMF, <laughs> right? Um, if you're, if, you know, message to Garcia, whatever yeah. cliche uh, what I you want to put on it. Done. Absolutely. That's a message to Garcia is something that the Marines have to read usually very early in their career. I think I read it as Lance Corporal. And, uh, and to, to boil it down, the, the skinny of it is a young, you know, junior guy is sent into an extraordinary situation where he said, hey, you need to take this message to this person. And he by himself traversing a country that he's not from to find somebody that he doesn't know where they are. And so that's why we read that book as young Marines. Your command wants you to know, hey, at the end of the day, this is the end state. I don't care what you have to do to get right here, but this is where you will end up. 
Do you understand? Message to Garcia, go make it happen. And, and, and they will literally say, mm-hmm. message to Garcia, go make it happen. Yeah, make it happen. And that's them saying, hey, this is fucked up beyond recognition. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to get this to happen. But it's NAFU, so yeah, yeah. the situation's normal. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going to suck. Message to Garcia, buddy. Slap you on the shoulder and, and, and tell you to go on. Um, uh, but anyway, so back to the group counseling thing. A lot of guys are like maybe a... Here's a big problem. Starting whenever it started, let's say Vietnam time frame, maybe even maybe even a bit before Vietnam, uh, guys stop talking about stuff. World War II, guys come home, they float in three to six months on a boat after their time to come home. And they have that time to sit around and talk, and they have that time to banner back and forth, and they have that time to tell those war stories with like-minded individuals that can relate that were there with them. And it's not that way anymore. You take a plane over, at least for the Marines, most of the times you're taking a plane out of zone, you come back to your unit. Your unit is either uh, change of command goes or disbanded. I mean, it could be either either or. At which point you're leaving all your buddies that were like-minded and served and were with you. And a lot of times the ranks are shuffled for fraternization purposes and promotion purposes. But you got you got these guys that are um, that are coming back that are having issues, and then all of a sudden all their buddies that that were there with them are in different units or different companies. And they're not seeing them every day. Or God forbid you come back and it's time to get out. And then you get out and you move back to wherever you're from, you know, and then you got to rely on a VFW with a bunch of guys that you really don't know. And that's, that's still okay. Because right. I've made some great friends at the VFW. I'm heavily involved with VFW in uh, Holly Ridge, North Carolina. Um, and when you lose that though, it affects people. Um, and it can affect different people, different ways, but it, it's a, it's a hard thing to traverse. It's like, okay. And that's another reason why I always like the special units, uh, recon, uh, MARSOC, uh, human intelligence, uh, EOD, another one for the Marines, and then you go to SEALs, you can go to Green Beret, Operation Detachment Alphas, all the team guys in the Army. Like, these guys are together for years, and I think that's a big part of why some of our SOCOM um, operators and critical skills operators, I feel like that's a big reason why they, they may do a little bit better. Uh, and I'm not saying they always do better, and I know these guys still struggle. Several friends uh, from those communities, and, and, they, and they still struggle. Uh, I feel like though that there's you're you're with your team so long that you have that camaraderie for years yeah. before it's disbanded, right? And I think that that's a uh, a positive a positive uh, positive part of the smaller team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, that was group therapy, huh? Yeah. And see, from uh, I've never that even dabbled. Minus maybe talking to you or and, and that's, Joe right? And, and that's and the that. next thing I was going to bring up is this individual counseling. If you're a guy that doesn't like the, the group environment, you don't want to go in there, you don't want you don't want to hear other people, um, that's fine. I would urge you to try it. Um, and if you didn't like it, I would urge you to try it again. Because there's more than just going in there and listening to other people. Okay, You could go in there and help those other people. You could go in there and talk about how you handled situations, and this is what I do. I go to group uh, every Tuesday and talk. And at first it was I was learning, and now it's I feel like I've transitioned more into the for the, for some of the younger guys. And by younger guys, I don't mean younger than me. I mean younger in counseling than me. I got Vietnam guys in there that are just now coming to uh, to counseling, right? And um, but if you can go in there. There's a couple of things. Usually groups are, you know, 10 to 15 people. And if you can see 10 to 15 different ways that people handle situations, well, that's better than knowing your one way that you handle the situation, right? That gives you 15 different things to either emulate or stay the hell away from, right? Right. Okay. 
you can also teach that to people once you learn it. And that's another great thing about, about going back and then thus giving you some sort of purpose. I mean, I find purpose every single time I go to group. If I can help one person or say one thing that's going to make life better for one of those guys, even if I never find out about it, it's worth it, right? And, um, and so the next thing is individual counseling. And, and for me, what I was going to bring up is that can, be with, that can be with a professional or it can be with a friend. It can be somebody, right. somebody that you stay in contact with from your, uh, from your trauma time and say somebody that understands you. Somebody close, a confidant, let's say, uh, me and you, uh, me, you, E-man, uh, different people that we've stayed in contact with that were there with us that we can just at least check on. Like, hey, how you doing? How's work? How's the kids? How's the family? And sometimes just those things are enough. Sometimes it's like, hey, man, where you at? Like, are you, you okay? Good? Yeah. yeah. Like, I ain't heard from you in a minute. Are you good? Yeah, and if you're not, me and you go three days without talking at this point, like, hey, bro, you good? I haven't heard from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's say Manny, for example. Yeah, Manny, he's doing a good job. Uh, He's living life, but if I go too too long without hearing from him, I'm calling him up. Hey, what are you doing, killer? What's the job looking like? How's the money doing? How's the baby doing? Where you at personally? How's your head doing? Yep. Grimes, another great example. A lot of things I I didn't know Grimes struggled as hard as he did, and that's a failure on my part for not reaching out and understanding that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, 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 that individual counseling can, can be with a professional. It can be with, uh, with a friend, but it's necessary in my opinion to advance your mindset from where it's at. Right. Let's put it that way. Uh, next I have my medication. All right. So, um, medication, just like the unorthodox treatments and therapies, they can work. Um, personally, I don't like taking pills. I don't like taking that stuff. I don't, I feel like it does something to me. And for every one pill I take, there's three side effects and I got to take more pills for those side effects. And I know getting out of the Marine Corps, I, they had me on so much medication. I don't even know if, I don't even, like there's no way it was good for me. There was no way the amount of medication I was taking was good for my body. And then drinking. And if you're drinking, then drinking. Because yeah. you're not supposed to drink on any of that. Um, and so, uh, in medication, again, that would be orthodox medication, but I look at alcohol as an unorthodox medication, a self-medication that you're going through. Yeah. And so, that can fall into that category as well. Uh, some other things that I've tried are, un- maybe they could be considered unorthodox, but maybe not, but um, they're starting to, to catch on. One of them is uh, sensory uh, sensory deprivation pods or chambers. Have you, have you been in one of these eggs yet? No. Okay, so they have them down by us. It's Needs Ferry, and it actually is a Navy SEAL sister that her brother was up at Damnick, Virginia, where the seals are or whatever, and they had one of these things. He told his sister, like, and his sister was in, like, the medical field, counseling field kind of thing, trying to help people out, things like that. And uh, sure enough, she goes to Damnick, she, she gets in this pod, and it's, like, revolutionized the whole industry. Okay, brand new thing. Hey, this is for real. So she moves in, she, she comes down to Sneaks Ferry, North Carolina, out the back gate of Camp Lejeune, uh, you know, with all these Marines and these combat guys. And she does great deals. Um, if you're in the local area right now, it's Carolina Med Spa and Sneeds Ferry. And uh, basically, you're going to go in this, this area, and it's this huge egg, you know, uh, egg-shaped pool. It's got like 20 inches of water in it, but it's loaded down with salt. And so your your body is completely buoyant without having to be buoyant, uh, almost to exactly 50%. So you don't know, and the water is uh, set to your temperature. Right, so like 98 something degrees. So you don't know where the water ends and where your body starts uh-huh. out of the water. You don't have to try to float. You can black it completely out and cancel all sound. You're in your own little room. Nobody comes in it, and you're in there for an hour. And uh, the first time I did it, 
I had heard about it from one of my buddies. He said, man, you got to try this. It's, it's kind of different, but, but you need to try it. And I've been doing it ever since then. Like every once in a while, maybe quarterly, a lot of guys do it, will do it weekly. Um, but quarterly, I'll go in, I'll float in that egg, and you can go somewhere else in my brain and work my stuff out. And it's also good for the back. It's good for the joints and, and muscles. It's almost, it's not like zero gravity, but it's real close. It's real close feeling. Like there's no, the buoyancy counteracts the gravi gravitational pull. And I don't know exactly how the science works, but I know I, I felt my back pop in so many different ways. I felt that lactic acid release. And you can hear it in the water, just top, 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 all the way down, right? And um, so, so uh, sensory deprivation pods, or uh, you can get them at the Carolina Med Spa, and I'm sure they're in, in all There's kinds of different places. places. So, so look it up, Google it, and uh, and give it a try. If you don't like it, oh, okay, cool. I've I've tried tons of therapeutics that I didn't like. Gave them a shot though, because yeah. what if they did work? You know, so. Maybe um, next time when I come to North Carolina, I might have to bring me over there so I can try that. I don't even know why. It just sounds cool to do. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, it's a different <laughs> thing. And if nothing else, you get to you get to meditate for uh, yeah. for an hour. I do, uh, I do my meditation while staring at a windshield. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Uh, and look, that's a pretty good way to meditate, believe it or not. As long as you still pay attention to the road, but there's like you can clear your head on the drive. Trust yeah. me, I've done it on a long ride. So. Felt it. What you got next on that there, Wes? Um, okay, next I have higher education. Okay. okay. Let me explain. When I got out, I was purposeless. I went from making a... What I was saying is, um, I got out. I was struggling. I didn't want to be out. I lost, you know, like, all my friends are kind of looking at me like, what the fuck, ain't that, like, weird? And some of my friends are gone already. You had already left for Tennessee at that and, point. Uh, I was in Louisiana and, uh, by that point. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I just felt like I went from <clears throat> making a big difference on an international stage and, and really doing grown man things to doing menial tasks, right, and just tasks that were just sucking my soul away, and I would just sit there every day and I had this constant anxiety on my shoulder like I wasn't doing enough or I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing and I was meant to be doing so much more than that, I constantly boom, 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 boom on my shoulder. And I remember telling my wife uh, at the time, you know, I told Leslie, I said, hey, this ain't it, though. This ain't it for me. I can't. I can't do this. This this is killing me. Doing nothing is killing me. I have to do something. And what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to go to school. I earn those benefits. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to do something. Uh, so I went to community college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I could do. I, I you know, I just want to figure something out. I couldn't sit around anymore. And why why not go why not go get an education? I've got the benefits, I've got the money to pay for it already, I've earned that, and it can only be a net positive to gain knowledge in my mind, right? And the other thing was I had started that book, uh, the book lines of Marja in two thousand ten and now you're talking it's two thousand and fifteen. Um, I'm only halfway done with it, never completed anything. And uh I figured, you know what, I'll go to school, I'll take creative writing, I'll become a better writer and a better communicator, so I can talk to people, I can share the knowledge, I can spread the knowledge, both verbally and through written form. And um, so that was the drive. So boom, I go to I go to school, and then I end up falling in love with it. Just, just absolutely, I love the research, I love the write, I love the, I felt like I was doing something again, okay? And um, so now I now go all the way through education, uh, um, I had a newly invigorated purpose, 
right? Um, if I can show my kids anything, school's going to be important, right? They're going to know it's important. I'm doing homework with my kids every day at the table, you know? Right. Um, that was good. Adding a new knowledge and new skill set, always a net positive to everybody around you, right? You can help more. Right. Right. And uh, for me, always... Uh... Well, it gives you something else to master. Yeah. It gives you a new thing, like, oh, no, I can do better than that. Right. I can do better than him and him and him. And now I'm going to prove it. So then you can you can task-orient your life again and be like, okay, now I have a mission. Yep. Now I have an objective that I need to complete. And uh, It also gives you, not purpose, but a, a fulfillment to learn I'd say both. a new I'd thing. I'd say both. I mean, it gives you purpose because you have purpose now of learning this thing. Right. And it gives you fulfillment because you're learning a new thing. And completing. And completing a new thing. Yeah. That's like making a list. A lot of people say, make a list, make a list, make a list, make a list, make a list. And for a long time, I don't understand it. I'm like, everybody has to make damn list. It's like a roster in the Marine Corps. Why are we making so many rosters? Um, <laughs> but I make a list. I make a list for everything now. I mean, absolutely everything I make a list because I feel good checking it off. Yep, did that one. Yep, did that one. Even if it's a small menial task, make your bed in the morning. Jordan Peterson talked about it. Get up and make your bed. Clean your room before you go out and start trying to clean up the world's room. If you can't even clean your room and make your bed, how do you expect to go out there? And that's his whole premise, right? You've got the personal responsibility, have it, own it, and get through with your day. Um, love that about him. Um, we've already talked about some unorthodox treatment, so I guess we'll go ahead and move to the close. Uh, kind of a down and dirty episode. Uh, kind of just really a, a bullshit session, if you Only will, about... First, uh, with each other. Not about the book, really. Yeah, yeah. off the book. Um, and But these are the big things that we want to touch on because... In my opinion, the lack of purpose within a, within a former service member's life can be catastrophic. It can be it can be detrimental. And a lot of times what happens is guys get wounded or they'll get mixed up in their head and they will let those moments define the rest of their life. And and this podcast is not for that. This podcast is a podcast that, that says you need to get your butt back in gear because you only have about 75 good years and you're halfway through that. So you don't have much time left to affect change. And if you don't come here, if you don't spend your time here, let's say on earth as a human being, affecting change for the positive for other people, I don't want to be around. Them. I don't. I want positive people around me that aspire to do great things and continue to do great things and continue to better things for the rest of people. Um, and so, and so that's going to be it. That's going to be the, the, uh, the entire, uh, that's going to be the entire premise of this is to show you, uh, show all of you guys, show you successful people who, who said, I will not let that define me. I will define that situation. Right. I will show other people that you don't have to let that define you either. You can come out and you could get into corporate America. You could start your own company. You can, every service member, in my opinion, has the, the foundational building blocks to be great at anything that they choose to do. I was just thinking that same exact thing. You, you have you have the tools. It comes back to choices, not chances, because you know what the correct choice is, whether you want to pursue that hard path instead of taking a chance on an easier path and maybe not being successful. You take the hard path. You take that. You make that choice to take the hard path. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're choosing a hard path. Choose the righteous path. Right. If you, you know, know the what right the right choice is, is, make that choice. LT used to say it all the time. It doesn't come down to the chances in life. Right. It comes down. Here's another thing. Yeah, Goes we're in. wrapping this up. Yeah, we're yeah. starting it back up. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
one thing that I heard, I, I listened to a motivational, inspirational speaker. He's the number one inspirational speaker in the world right now. And, and a lot, you know, I don't know, a lot of my people, when I bring them up, I ain't heard of him. Um, he's called the Hip Hop Preacher. You heard of him? Eric Thomas. Yeah. yeah. Eric Thomas. Great, great dude. And he said, you need to be uh, always training your mind, body, and spirit to be ready to take advantage of a chance of a lifetime within the chance of a lifetime. If you're not ready, that chance of a lifetime don't last a lifetime. That's why it's called a chance of a lifetime. Right. And if you are not ready physically and mentally to make the choice within that timeline, within the life of that chance, then that chance will pass you by. And that's so that's so straightforward. It's right. so it's so um to me, it's such an important statement, and, and that's why it stuck with me. You know, I probably heard that five years ago from him, maybe four years ago from him. And it's like, uh, it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. You need to be ready to pounce at any at any opportunity. Perfect example: go up to Ohio on vacation. Right. I'm going to go up and spend time with my family. You know, sister-in-law's birthday party. We're going to go up. We're going to have a great time. My little brother's sheriff. Sheriff's department called. My little brother, his, his sergeant in charge or whatever, and says, hey, uh, you know, my little brother was in, in the Army and, 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 and suffers from, from some PTSD, let's say. He has some post-traumatic stress. Let's not say disorder, sure. but let's say he has some post He's seen some shit. He had one of his buddies die, and, you know, give him CPR um, until help arrives, and the guy still passed. And, you know, you're talking about a 45-year-old guy with kids and a wife that my brother knows. Right. This is hard for him. So he's been working through it, whatever. His sergeant calls him, hey, would you like to teach this? You know, you, you have the experience, blah, 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 with PTSD and, and English crisis intervention training for the for the peace officers course, the training academy was going through. And my little brother calls me up and he's like, hey, man, I think you should teach this class. And I'm like, I'll teach this class. I, I love teaching classes. You know, like, put me in front of them. That's good. Maybe I can give them something that the cops, teachers, you know, the instructors won't tell them uh, or won't share with them or can't because they don't know or, you know, whatever. We go up there, man. We killed this thing. We did a 90-minute presentation um, on crisis intervention, how to deal with uh, different situations with maybe uh, disenfranchised veterans, uh, maybe veterans on drugs and alcohol, veterans losing their mind, dissociative events. I covered a, a bunch of stuff with these guys. And uh, I had to make that decision in, in 48 hours. Either I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. Either I have the confidence to go in there and put my brand on the line and take that chance, or I don't. Took the chance. Go up there, volunteer. You know, nobody's talked to me about money. Nobody's talked to me about, you know, can you do it? Hey, I'm here to help. My brother wants me to do this for him. I'm doing it. Right. It's wrap. That's it. We go up there and we kill it. We crush it. We knock it out of the park. We get job offerings afterwards. With, I was ready to seize that moment in the lifetime of that moment and jumped on it. And I didn't know how it was going to go. Look, man, we built a. PowerPoint in 48 hours, and uh, and then crack at it with each other. My brothers at my brother's house, like, man, how do you think it's gonna go? How you feeling? He's like, I'm feeling good. How you feeling? I don't know. I'm feeling good, but I don't know how they'll feel. And I went in there and I talked it, and I talked about it raw. You know, I talked about my alcoholism. I talked about, um, I talked about having a dissociative event shortly after we came home uh, from Marja at my uh, wife's uncle's house having a dissociative event. Never even knew what a dissociative event uh, was. I didn't, I didn't know what that was. It's like a prolonged flashback for me. And uh, and I ended up getting in some trouble with the law. Uh, 
fortunate. Both of them are former Marines, and they took care of me. They were great cops. They came out. They even, even mm-hmm. had to tase me. I was losing it. I was losing the biscuit, man, hard. And, uh, you know, I come to an hospital, <clears throat> no charges, no calls to my command, <clears throat> none of that. They took care of me. They realized I was having, an, an, you know, a, a, an emergency. They realized I was not myself. They realized I was out, you know, not experiencing reality at the time. They brought me back to reality via voltage, and then they took care of me. And I'm forever grateful. And I told the, the, the police up at the uh, academy, I said, hey, you know, in a, in a day and age where, uh, where you are disrespected and run up the flagpole constantly, be gracious, be courteous, uh, but be prepared to, to handle your business. Um, I say gracious and courteous because there's a lot of disenfranchisement right now towards the federal government. Uh, towards police, towards a lot of things, uh, especially authority-driven. Right. Um, and uh, and if you could just be nice until it's not time to be nice, like there's certain situations you yeah. can't be nice in. But I can promise you this, if, if you have a veteran out there that's experiencing a dissociative event or something of that nature, and you have a cop come up on the scene, police officer come up on the scene, and start wearing a badge like a crown, you're going to exacerbate that situation. You are not going to de-escalate it with somebody who's maybe off sorts. And that doesn't mean they're a veteran. That can mean they're just losing their, losing their mind for a minute. I mean, everybody has issues. Everybody has trauma. Everybody, life, is, life is tough, right? Mm-hmm. Life is struggle, let's say that. And be nice, you got to stop being nice. And uh, nobody's nice anymore. Some people are nice. But by and large, everybody's looking to get – it seems like most people are looking to get something. They're looking to sue somebody. They're looking to get something. looking to get some exposure. They're looking to get some of the stuff instead of saying, hey, if we all just came together and were nice, we wouldn't have a lot of these problems. We wouldn't have a lot of these drama. We would be more efficient in our workforce. Things would become easier for us, right? And so, um, and so I gave that talk. Opportunity of a lifetime inside the lifetime of the opportunity. Boom, there it is. And we succeeded and we went up there and we did good things. And that's just one example of how to take that to corporate America. I'm not I'm not anything special. I did some platform teaching in the Marine Corps for the last couple of years that I was in. So I was comfortable in front of large crowds. And I, was in com- I was comfortable with teaching to lar- uh, larger crowds. It's a small crowd. It's not hard. And afterwards, I'm like, bro, like, look at my brother. I'm like, we need to do some more. This is good information for these guys to have. And, right. they were, and they were very attentive. And I had them in the class right after chat. Nobody fell asleep. Solid. That's an accomplishment. Yeah, maybe it's different they in the police have, world they, than the Marine they world. Have gave you a plaque. <laughs> I think that's why they offered me a job. They're like, listen, we haven't had a guy come in here and keep these uh, assholes awake for 90 minutes in uh, several classes. <laughs> But, uh, well, you know me. I thought it like a Marine. You know, I got up there. I got loud. I used inflection. You know, and if they'd fall asleep, I'd throw a water bottle at them. Told them that in the beginning. Nobody fell asleep. <laughs> Knowledge was attained, uh, retained. And uh, learning has occurred. Learning has occurred, yeah. So, um, anyway, guys, we're going to wrap this up. But just, you know, there's a brief talk, a, little, a, a short little talk about different therapeutics, different things that we can uh, use instead of uh, uh, SSRIs and barbiturates to, to achieve success. One, one more thing, Matt, let me throw in there. Right. Um, if you're having issues, 
mental issues of any kind, you need to work out. Yes. You need to eat correctly and you need to work out. Give that three months. Start a workout regimen. Start eating good portions, healthy. Watch your salt. Watch your sugars. Drink water to Red flush chill. your system. Do that for three months and have a routine that you do for workout and eating. And then, and then email me at the end of 90 days and tell me that didn't improve your social uh, or mental and your mental uh, life situation. 100%, man. A lot of things come down to confidence but, you know, and workload and things of that nature. But you need sleep. You need proper food. And you need a proper workout regimen to maintain, in my opinion, your a solid, uh, a solid stage of mental health. For sure. It all ties in each other. 100%. So, all right. Eat right. Think about therapeutics. Talk to somebody. If it's not a professional, then it's not a professional. I don't care. Uh, email me. I'll give you my personal number. If you're in a time of need, you call me, and uh, and we'll talk about it. And I'm dead serious about that. Um, then my email's on the on the podcast. You can see the uh, and we both get all it. the links down there. And those go to two guys that are more than willing to pick up a call if it means uh, you not making a bad choice um, that is going to or a choice you can't take back. Yeah, a choice you can't take back, and a negative choice that you can't take back. Uh, call, call somebody. If you don't want to call me, I mean, I'm a stranger. I'm impartial. Call me, and I'll give you the skinny. I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you if you're right, wrong, and different, how I would fix it, you know, personally, uh, and how I know other people have fixed these things, uh, depending on what your, uh, depending on what your uh, issue is. Um, but it, if you take anything away from this, work out, eat healthy. Talk to somebody. I would prefer you talk to a professional. Uh, but if you're uncomfortable talking to a professional, call a friend. Call somebody that's at the trauma site with you. Call call a parent um, if you got a good support structure in your family. Make the phone call. And uh, and a lot of times what I tell people is you don't know what that phone call is going to do for your friend. Yep. Your friend could be hanging on by a thread, and you're hanging on by a thread. You make the phone call to a friend to help you know get help from the friend, and you may very well be helping giving purpose to that friend. And so um, make the phone calls, do your research, do your research on your medications. If it's not the right medication for you, you are in charge of your mental health. Don't take a medication that's not right for you. If you read the warning label and it doesn't seem like it's right for you, talk to your doctor. This is your life, your body that this stuff's going into, not his or hers. Okay? And, um, and that'll be the biggest things. And be nice. Be nice. Don't look for drama in your life. Look to help reduce it from yours and other people's lives. You know what I try and do when I'm on the road? I try and let one person go in a day. Just, hey, we're stuck in traffic? Yeah, you can get in. Mm -hmm. Try and take a morning to one person when you're in the gas station or you're in the restaurant or you're getting your morning coffee. One total stranger. Hey, good morning. Have a good day. Mm -hmm. You know? 100%. I would would argue that don't do it one time. Do it every time. To every single person that you come in contact with. Because you never know when that you know, single mother that just dropped her kids off at, at school and she's, you know, you run into her in the Walmart, maybe she's falling apart in her life and maybe this, hey man, how you doing? Let me get that door for you. Yep. That's not you, and I don't care what anybody says, that's not chauvinistic, that's any, not anything other than proper common courtesy. No, last night, I, that uh, that woman held the door open for me because we were going out and she was coming in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's her being a nice person. Right. That's her showing a positive example to her two kids that were with her. Hey, we're going to hold the door for these gentlemen. They're coming out. And it's the same for us. Hey, we're going to hold the door for these people. 
we're going to say hello to these people. Maybe you buy somebody in Starbucks uh, coffee for them behind yep. you or wherever you're at. And you show these random acts of kindness. I promise you, you get that in spades best. Your blessings will be poured onto you and you'll feel them. And I don't mean feel them, but you'll feel them in your soul that you're doing good things. And something that, again, we've talked about, me and you offline in the past, is um, the pleasure that comes from helping somebody is far supersedes the hate that you could manifest from drama. Yeah. From taking something that is a small issue and turning it into a big issue, maybe because your timeline's running late. Maybe you're late to work and you're in some traffic, but now you want to ride everybody and you want to act with some road rage and stuff like that. That doesn't get you anywhere. How about hit the brakes and say, you know what? You don't have control of everything on the planet. You have control of you. And, and you don't have control of get there. You know what? And maybe, maybe. And I'll get there safe, alive, <clears throat> and without a citation. And without incident, right? Yep. And maybe what you can do is write down the notes and say, maybe I need to leave a little earlier. And then I wouldn't be so yep. damn rushed. Maybe I need to get up a little earlier, eat breakfast a little earlier, get on the road 20 minutes earlier, and then I can expect to be slowed down and it's still not a big problem. Yep. So there's different ways that you can help yourself instead of just uh, automatically checking into the everybody's against me and I don't care, right? Because that we have enough of that. We need more caring. We need more help. We need more uh, more people being nice to each other, in my opinion. So uh, anyway, I think that's the real what we're going to wrap up now, guys. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, we've, hit, we've hit several subjects, but this is a podcast where I don't care what we're talking about. If something comes up that we think will be helpful on either, either right myself or, yeah. or, or Matt, we're going to keep pushing. And uh, anyway, we appreciate you guys. We, we ask that you will uh, hit your likes on whatever platform uh, you're using uh, to, to listen to our podcast. Subscribe to the to the YouTube page. If you're listening this to, to this on Spotify, I urge you to go to YouTube. Subscribe to uh, subscribe to the channel anyway. And and you know, once in a while, give it a shot. Uh, if you if you're not somebody that listen uh, watches on YouTube, go ahead and listen uh, on YouTube. You can put it on the screen while you're cleaning your house. Who, who knows? You know, whatever you're doing, you get some downtime. It is. I say this because I'm a I'm a podcast fanatic. I love them. Uh, I listen to them on the road. I listen to them on Spotify. But I also at home in my downtime and when I'm doing my research and I'm doing school when I'm working, uh, I'll throw them on the TV right there and I'll listen to them and get into it. And a lot of times I find myself more into the podcast than I am into the study of the research. To be doing, hundred yeah. percent. I'm like I'm taking something from this. This is good jobs coming out. And uh, so, so we we appreciate y'all uh, support. We appreciate you going and subscribing to our channel on YouTube and uh, and on Spotify and all the other all the other uh, uh, podcast outlets that we're affiliated platforms. with and platforms that we're affiliated with. This, these things help us. The likes, the shares, the comments, uh, uh, the sub, the subscriptions to the channel. These all these things help us algorithmically. Uh, with being viewed more like the more subscribers we have, the more they're going to pump it out, the more people are going to get this information. So if nothing else, if you took something from this, please head over to, uh, to YouTube at some point, sign in and go ahead and give us a, a, a subscribe. Uh, and, and when you subscribe to our channel, any video that comes out on YouTube, as soon as it's dropped, you will get a notification saying, Hey, there's a new episode of choice, not chances. Right. Um, we're releasing an episode, a full full length episode every two weeks at this point, And, uh, or, you know, every other, every other Tuesday, at zero five in the morning to uh, pack you guys that are getting up early and driving out to those jobs. Hey, you want to get an hour in, get an hour in with us and we'll, we'll hang out and we'll enjoy that. Um, but we appreciate y'all again, uh, like subscribe. Matt, you got anything to add on the end? Don't forget to uh, go on Amazon, buy the book. 
Amazon.com, Lions of Marja, $16.99, I believe right now. It's either $16.99 or $17.99. Right. I don't have control of that. Yeah, yeah, I don't have control of when they put sales on and stuff like that. But, yeah, pick it up, man. If you, uh, It's a war memoir about our time in 2010 in the city of Marja, Taliban stronghold. Uh, Matt was one of my team leaders in my squad. We were both uh, with uh, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, Kilo Company, and did a Hilo insert into a hellhole. And... Uh, if you made it this far, you should know this. You should know some of the story. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but we might have people signing in for the yeah, first true, time right here. True. So uh, you can go back and uh, you, you can get the book. Of course, the book is going to be in far greater detail than what the review was on 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 yep. on the channel. Um, so so please, yeah, go out support the book. Uh, if you support the book, you're supporting the podcast. Um, if you're supporting the podcast, you're supporting me and Matt using this podcast as a conduit conduit of information passing for. Yep. Uh, for good intel. So um, also, don't forget about the writing contest. Writing contest, contest. Yep, first annual writing contest coming up, guys. I'm gonna have rules posted to our Facebook page at Choices Not Chances, uh, face on Facebook, and I'm gonna be posting the event rules uh, of what we want, when we want it by. And hey, you might be the only one that submits. <laughs> Ergo, you get the trip over here to talk to us on the podcast. Yep. Um, but we're trying to get the creative juices flowing. And, and let me just break this down. This. Writing competition, and we will end after this, I promise. Uh, this writing competition is something that I had talked about with Matt when I first when I first had the idea to start a podcast and, and get into this. And the reason why I wanted to do it was because writing my book about my experiences, they have helped me in so many different ways that it's that it's insane. The amount of blessings that I have received uh, just by form of comments. Uh, both in person uh, and social media alike um, is overwhelming. Um, and the writing process is, it is a almost a personal form of prolonged exposure and prolonged exposure works. Um, I went into inpatient treatment for prolonged exposure in 2014. I went to a place called Laurel Ridge try to get my head right before my second child was born, just before he was born. And um, and maybe I didn't have the best experience at Laurel Ridge because I went there thinking that I had one issue, one stuck point, one uh, one rut that I fell into. And that was Matt Hanson. That was uh, that was the feeling that I had that Matt, you know, I lo we'd lost Matt and I was really stuck on that, really stuck on that. I was commanding troops on the field that day. You were with me. Yep. Uh, it was chaos, um, and we arguably did everything right that day, and uh, and it wasn't good enough. So, yeah, so um, I was struggling with that, and I came yeah. home from Laurel Ridge struggling with a lot more stuff. Right. That's why you started. Well, yeah, that's why you continued writing. That was a to, big reason that you know of, of continuing continuing that because because uh, I could tell that it was working. I could tell that working on that stuck point with prolonged exposure was working for me, but I didn't have time. They wanted me to stay there for months, and my baby was about to be born. So I came home and I'm like, all right, well, it works. Uh, so let's give it a try to write. You know, let's let's try to write this book. And at that point, I had. Uh, not done my college, you know, all of my college yet. I, had, I hadn't got where I wanted to be writing. So, again, had that purpose, had that school purpose going on, and uh, and then the writing. And so, going back to the writing competition, I want you guys to write because I think it will help you just to write, not to be in a competition with anybody, 
but to write your history down, write your write your experience down. And there's multiple things that are going to come from that. People that you can't talk to because maybe you just don't want to talk about those things because of emotions or things of that nature uh, can learn from you still. And I'm not talking about your family. I'm talking about future war fighters uh, reading your experiences <clears throat> and saying, okay, um, because reading does that. Reading gives you the ability to live an experience through somebody else's shoes. And anytime we experience something we've never done or we go through or we read something that we've never done, we're infinitely better at it because of that. Because now we have, a, we have obtained that, um, that knowledge and that, um, that, uh, that experience through reading. However, when that experience shows up on the battlefield and you're like, oh, you have something to say, oh, okay, okay, this is what they did. And if you read a lot, you can say, well, this is what he did, and this is what he did, but he did a little bit different. And this situation is a little bit more like his right. or hers, yeah, whatever the situation is. And then you have at least a baseline to start at, right? Marja, for example. I had never been first troops on deck on any of my deployments. It's my fifth, sixth deployment, whatever it was. I've never been first boots on deck. We always came into a cop. I always had radios set up already. We always had rotations set up already when right. we got there. However... I didn't go into Martian naked. I had read about fellas that took choppers into fucking uh, in, into uh, Vietnam. I had read about guys who had been completely surrounded, landing on a beachhead in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I mean, and I've read these things, and it's like, yeah, I got a little baseline. Like it's a little different than what I've done before, but I've read a lot, and I know what these guys did. I know what seemed to get them out of things, or at least helped, you know. Right. And I've read things not to do. Don't do this, because this, this fucking got them massacred. Right. This got them all annihilated. This lost complete trust, command and control of the, of, of the damn, uh, of the unit. Well, why? Don't do this, right? And so you're infinitely more knowledgeable at the situation just because you have read something. You didn't even have to really practically applicate that in your life to, to have a basis of what you're doing, right? Right. And so that's the power of bringing more knowledge in. Again, Write this stuff down, guys. Your kids are going to appreciate it. Your wives are going to appreciate it. Your parents are going to appreciate it. I know your parents and uncles and aunts all sent me emails or phone calls thanking me, telling me, hey, we love you. You're one of the guys for us. You're just like that. And, and uh, I'm like, we got some company. Yeah. And, uh, and they've, they've called out and reached out and said, thank you. You know, our boys don't talk about this stuff with us. And we understand why our boys don't talk about this stuff with us. Um, but thank you for, for giving us a look at what our sons went through and things like that. And that's, you know, those are the kind of blessings that I'm talking about. But, um, all right, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it. We're going to slap the table on this one. Uh, I think we've, we've strung on long enough now. But, um, again, we appreciate your time. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode of Choices, Not Chances. Uh, we appreciate you all. Thank you. How we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. In episode seven of the podcast, we interviewed the owner and founder, Harlan Bottler. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. 
They have a nice selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns in stock, or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearm. If you want to get further in the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, and Kydex holsters. Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com slash pages slash cnc. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Holland's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosives training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state also need to have this training in order to complete work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment. Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. Or online at louisianagunshop.com slash pages slash cnc. Check the episode description for the link. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi and God bless America. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny, funny shot. Yeah. Funny.